How you doing this morning? I'm going to get started, so because uh, I'll get long-winded. <laughs> My wife was telling me this morning that uh, she always said, she says, you're going to be short on your illustrations. I said, no. <laughs> I'm not, I don't promise myself that anymore. I do rabbit trails a lot of times, and uh, I just look at it as, well, God is leading me in that direction, whatever. Things pop in my head as I'm doing this. I prepare all this stuff, and I never go through all this stuff. <laughs> I just I hit some of it, and then just things pop in my head as I'm going along. So I'm going to try this time, though, to stay a little bit closer to the notes, though, because I wanna, want this to flow a certain way. But I'll probably get caught off on, there's a certain area here that if I get caught off on it, that's going to be the area that's, <laughs> that because this this is this is a pet peeve of mine right now. Um, we're going we're we're studying faith and reason, faith and reason. And Jeremy asked me to send him a uh, uh, a little ditty this uh, about a teaser. That's what he calls it. And uh, and so my my little teaser I sent him was: Is faith blind or can it see? Is faith blind or can it see? And that's very important uh, as we get into this, uh, you know, you'll understand that a little bit more why I said that. Um, having said that, since it's faith and reason, is reason reasonable? Is faith alone faith? And what I'm saying, I said faith alone, is it faith? Um, in the book of James, in the book of Romans, the word of God says that uh, Romans or the book of Romans is built around the fact that uh, Paul is saying that faith alone saves. But when you get to the book of James, he builds his around faith plus works. And, it, and when you read it, it seems like he's saying that faith and works saves you. The Mormons have built the whole, their whole religion around the book of James. And uh, I remember, it was one of those candidates, I remember when I was in the military and I was still young in the Lord, and, but my roommate that I had was, uh, he had grown up in church and he was going to be a pastor and all that stuff. So he was more versed in scripture and all that. And we had these Mormons coming, we're in England, knock on our house and uh, come in. And we spent the day there going back and forth with them about what we believed. And... Uh, when we would ask him, we were, we were trying to tell him that faith, faith saves. And we would say, faith, you get saved by faith, so faith alone. And he said, yes. But we kept going back there, and it was confusing me. So when they left, my roommate said, Victor, next time you talk to a woman, you need to ask them, what do they mean by faith saving? And so the next time I did, I had a, a matter of fact, I had a, uh, a Mormon in my uh, workshop in the military. And his, his name was Joe, and I asked him what it meant. Now, his dad was high up in the Mormon church. And so I asked him what it meant, and he said, it means that faith plus works saves you. But they'll tell you that you're saved by faith. They want to add that works part, but if you're in the church and whatever, and you ask them, they will tell you faith plus works saves you. No, it doesn't. The difference is we're saved by faith. But if you, and James is trying to say, and, and Paul is really stressing that we're saved by faith, not by works, because the Jewish people were into works, into the law. And he's trying to tell them that it's grace that saves alone. It's faith. Faith, of the, the God gives you the faith to be saved 
alone. It's not by your works. James, on the other hand, some of the Christians were, which we have this problem today. Some There are many people that profess to be Christians, but they live like they're lost. And so some of the people, like in the Corinthian church, they had this problem. Um, and so in James' church, they were having this problem. So what he's trying to address is, he says, if you do have faith, if you're saved by faith alone, it should manifest itself in works. The works don't save you. The faith is what saves you. But if you really have Christian faith, if you really have the faith that the word of God teaches that God gives you to be saved, it should manifest in works. We really see that with politicians. They say, I'm a Christian. God bless you. God bless the United States. And all this stuff they, they'll say, then they'll go out and say, we believe in aborting babies. We believe that uh, Satanists should have um, their, they should, we got them in the military now. They got Satanist uh, chaplains in the military. Um, they're allowing them to put satanic displays up on government property. And so they're saying that we're going to be equal. We can do these kind of things. And they pass some of the worst laws that are that goes so against the word of God that you go, what? How can you say you're Christian and you believe this kind of stuff? We're just trying to be, they separate the two. They separate Christianity and secular. Christianity is something that they practice on Sunday. The rest of the week, they can do whatever they want to. No, that's not, that's not right. And so um, I don't practice Christianity. I am a Christian. Amen. That's a difference. You can practice Christianity and not be a Christian. That's religion. Because Christianity, in and of itself, as far as the, the way it's set up in the different ways we have it, is a religion. But if you have true faith in your heart, that is a relationship. That is the difference. One's a relationship, one is religion. It's the scariest thing when your children grow up in church and grow up churched because sometimes they can go through the motions of being saved and think they are saved, but they, they are, they believe in the religion and they're, they are resting in a religion. And you have a lot of times a Christian, person who thought was Christian, grew up in church, doing good, I mean, everything about them looks like they're saved and they come up and say, I, I was never saved. I thought I was. Because one day God hits them. There's been a lot of pastors preaching in pulpits. And I remember hearing about one pastor, he was preaching and he was preaching on some text or whatever. And all of a sudden he was doing, trying to do this altar call and boom, God hit him and said, you're not saved. <laughs> you know? He realized he wasn't saved. You know, so he even gave his pastor after he got, he said, look, I got to be rechurched. You know, because he said, I wasn't, I wasn't saved. He didn't realize it. It, it. it dawned on him that he was practicing. Now, I grew up in church and did all this stuff, so I thought I was saved. So this is why faith and reason comes into comes in here. Um, uh, the Bible says, a lost sinner received Christ, as we just went over, but Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's a gift. You don't work for a gift. And we got this problem in 
Christmas. It's around the corner now here. Uh, in the early days of Christmas, people made gifts and gave them to one another, maybe one thing or two things, something like that. And it was, it was a gift. And that's all it was. But now that it's been commercialized, if I were to give a gift to someone and they weren't expecting it, I know I feel like this. Someone gives me something and I wasn't expecting it. I feel like maybe I need to give them something back. You know, they gave me something, so I need to give them something back. That's built in us. That's, that's our sinful nature. That's built in us. Sometimes we don't, or you have people, I can be like this too. My, my brother-in-law was like this. In, uh, when uh, you don't want to ask for help or someone gives you something, I'm going to pay them back. They said, no, no, it's a gift. No, no, I'll make sure I'm going to pay you back. And my brother-in-law was like that. He said one of, they were struggling one day and he said, one of the deacons came to him and said, uh, Robbie, I need to talk with you. And Robbie told me this, my, my brother-in-law told me that he says, look, he says, we're to give, we're to be givers. But sometimes when you, you realize when you give, your hand is open. Sometimes God has to put something back in there for you to have. And if you don't, if you're just giving and then closing your fist back up, you're missing blessings. Sometimes people, God uses people to bless you in ways that when in, that you don't need to repay them. But our pride gets in the way. Maybe we got to give something back. And we do that with God. We'll tell, teach people, you're saved by grace, you're saved by grace, you're saved by grace. Faith alone, faith alone, faith alone, faith alone. And they go, yeah, yes, 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 yes. But I got to go to church. I got to do this. I got to get baptized. I got to get tithe. I got to practice. I got to, you know, we get hung up on that. And we, it, it is, uh, Spurgeon said, uh, when you understand the doctrine of grace, it is the most humbling doctrine there is because it removes you out of the picture. And it is, it removes you totally out of the picture. And then you realize, but I need to do, no, I, but God, I need to know. I, I, I gotta know. No, you have nothing to do with this. It's by grace. That's what's humbling about it, and it makes you feel small. It makes you feel very small. And I remember I was. I used to teach. I remember I was teaching one time, and I told people I said Christians are the smartest people in the world. And I'm, I'm young and. Growing in the Lord, <laughs> I still remember doing this. Christians are the smartest people in the world because they were smart enough to receive Christ, <laughs> and other people won't do it. Now, in those days, I'm more Armenian minded during those times, but we were on my way to my mother in law's one time, and my in laws, and I was listening to um, uh, Sproul, R.C. Sproul, and I was listening to his doctrines of grace, and he was going through all this stuff. And I was hung up on this one thing uh, and about a limited atonement. And I was hung up on that. And I was hung, and, and so as we're driving up, the, everyone's sleeping in the car. And I'm listening to this tape. And I'm listening. I listened to this tape over and over and over again. And then, boom, I got it. It was like the Holy Spirit turned the lights on again. I got it. I said, oh, oh. And it, it started, it humbles you when you really get it. I didn't have anything to do with this. Why would he save me? 
Now, I used to say that before, why would he save me? But there was a bit of pride in there. But when I realized, why would he save me and how sinful I really am, we all are, and that is all a work of grace, it just makes you feel so small. And it makes you more appreciative. Look at old, go read old songs and hymns and things like that from, from the days of Reformation and so forth in the back. Their, their hymns are a lot different. Our, our hymns today are about God gave me this or I love God, love, 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 love. And it's, there's a lot of that in there. And uh, or praising God and all that. There's nothing, nothing wrong with praising God and saying you love God. But when you look at those old hymns and read them, they're in, in their prayers or even in, in the Psalms and you read the Psalms, they're imploring God to do a work in them. I am so low. I am nothing, Lord. I need you. Help me to do this. Help me to preach. Help me to walk Christian life. I can't do it without. They are imploring because they realize that it, the Christian life is impossible to live without grace. And we need God to do it. We're saved by faith and we're to walk in faith. That means we're constantly imploring God, help me to do what I need to do and live this Christian life. Because when we live it in the flesh, we get frustrated. One, one guy says, we do, 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 stop. We don't because we get frustrated and we, we weigh down because I'm trying to do all this stuff to be right. And I'm trying to read my Bible every day. I'm trying to pray every day. I'm trying to give all this money. I'm trying and trying and trying. And you feel weighed down. Look at Galatians. That's what he was dealing with. And you feel weighed down because you're trying to live by works. You, you're falling back in that old trap. When you realize that it's really, that it's all of grace, there's a rest there that comes. Ah, I didn't read my Bible today, but I'm saved. God loves me. He, he knows my frame. I am not. I found out I used to try to, I'm going to be like Spurgeon or be like some of those people. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do all this stuff. I found out a lot of these, some of these big time preachers, some of them have very good memories. They can read books and they just have got, they're built that way. And they can do all that. But if I go and try to do that, I can't keep up with that because I'm not built that way. And God said, I don't want you to do that. I built them that way. I built you your way. Just live within your, was that drive within your lane, as we say. Stay in your lane. Don't try to get in someone else's lane. I'm not to come. But we're not going to compare ourselves one, one against another. Don't do that. Don't try to be someone that you're not. God loves you. Where I am, yes. But I need to get rid of some stuff. Well, ask God and wait for him, and, and, and he'll give you grace as you go along. But let him do the work in you and quit trying to do it yourself. So uh, this thing about uh, what's it, faith and reason. Uh, get back to that. It has been said. Um, it has been said that he who defines the terms wins the debate. You see this a lot in um, politics today. Uh, there's a guy. There's a there's a uh, columnist. He doesn't he doesn't do columns anymore. Named uh, Thomas Sowell, and he's a uh, economist and. Someone asked him one day, he, and he's, he's African-American, but he's uh, conservative. He's not a Christian, but his, 
I mean, his writings and the things he does uh, I mean, is it's just phenomenal stuff when you read it. And he talk, and he he studies and he goes. He's a, he he got his degree in, in economics and he's like one of these high intelligent kind of people. Uh, and he someone asked him, "Would you win a debate with Jesse Jackson?" He said. If you gave me, if if you gave me a if Jesse Jackson and I sat down and we had hours to sit down and talk and flesh out what we believe in, he said, I'll wipe the floor with him. Because he has all the facts on his side. He says, but you put me before a camera before Jesse Jackson, I'd lose. Because everything's done in sound bites. And everything is all built around winning. De defining, defining what you're saying. You may say something and say, "But what you mean is this." I don't mean, it. Dad. That's what you mean. You mean this, and you know, and they, and they get y'all mixed up. And so, we don't have the patience sometimes to sit down and learn things to find out why things are the way they are. And we need to, we need to develop that that kind of uh, thing in our life. Here was some of the famous skeptics have said about faith. Um, when we talk about faith. There is a faith that the, that the lost people think we believe, and then there's the faith that the Word of God says we believe. And this is, the, <clears throat> this is what, really what I want to harp on here, because I want you to understand the faith that we believe in, that God, that the way we're to approach this. And you'll see this when you go out there, people will hit you with some, some of these things. Um, I don't know if you know who Sam Harris is. He's still alive. He's a famous atheist author. He hates, hates God hates God. But he said this about faith. He said, faith is, a, is the license religious people give themselves to keep believing when reason fails. Uh, Richard Dawkins, another uh, atheist, a famous atheist, he says, uh, faith is the great cop-out, the great excuse to evade the need to think and evaluate evidence. Faith is belief in spite of even perhaps because of the lack of evidence. Focusing on that evidence part of it. Uh, you all heard of Buddha? Have you heard of a guy, uh, Siddhartha Gautama? That's Buddha. I didn't know that, I just found that out. <laughs> when I was studying, I said, who in the world? And it's Buddha, uh, the ancient philosopher. He said, believe nothing. Now, you know, that's in the, they're in the meditation and all this stuff, so emptying yourself and all this. He said this about faith. He says, believe nothing, no matter where you read it or who said it, unless it agrees with your own reason. <laughs> what he believes in is what the lost people think we believe in. And that's not true. And then that great wise old sage Mark Twain, the, <laughs> the writer and humorist, uh, he wasn't a Christian either. And he said this. He says, faith is believing what you know ain't so. <laughs> and I like that. Faith is believing what you know ain't so. You believe in something that, that's not real. You believe in something that has no evidential basis to it. <clears throat> what they're telling you is they're saying, when you have faith, there's no rationality to it. You're, what you believe in is empty. You'll see people, you'll hear people say, but you have faith. And you believe in, you believe in God by faith. What they're telling you is 
that you believe in God without any evidence for him. That's what they're telling you, that your faith is empty. But that can't, that's not true. Faith must have an object. And you can't have faith in nothing. You have to have faith in something. Even Buddha, when he made that, when he made that statement, he's still putting his faith in his own reason. Faith has to have an object. You, there's no way you can have faith in nothing because then there's nothing. Faith must have an object attached to it. Now, there's different degrees and different levels of faith, but there is faith. It must have an object. Don't let people redefine our faith. When someone says you have faith and you're talking to them, they say you have faith. Say, what kind of faith are you talking about? And see if they can define it and say, well, you, you believe in it because you just believe in it. You don't have any evidence. And then you can say, no, I actually do have evidence. Let me present to you why I believe in Christ. Let me give you some evidence for it. Um, I think I mentioned this last time. I don't know. I can't remember if I did. There's a book um, called uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. I would recommend you get that book. I would recommend you first listen, listen to an audio version of it. See if you can, and you say, I can't afford to do it and, and get one of these books and all that. Um, Ramona got me onto a, a app called Libby. It's a library app and you got a library card and you got a library number, you go to the Libby app and you can put your library card in there and you can check out audio books. I've been doing it all the time now. I'm reading and reading. I'm over, I started this last August when she told me about it. I'm over, I'm close to, I'm over 170 books right now. Because I don't listen to a lot of music. I'm always listening when I'm here cleaning. I have my headsets on. That's what you see me, the blue headset. I'm always listening to these books as I walk around here. And you'd be amazed the amount of books you can go through just in your drive time, walk time, jog time. Uh, she does it sometimes when she's washing dishes. And you go through, but I find that some of these books, even some of these new books, when they first come out, you go in and check in there, hey, the library has it in audio, you know, <laughs> and you can get it. So you don't have to pay for it. And you can still listen. And sometimes I listen. I say, that's a good book. I'm going to buy it. That's what I did with that, that book. I like And what they do in that book is he, they do a 12, it's like a 12 step program, but they take you, they say, they take you from the fact to show you that faith is reasonable. There is a reason behind believing that God exists. And they take you, without using the word of God at the beginning, they take you and logically walk you through the steps to make you think before they even get to get into Christianity. Once they get to the point where they, they, they prove to you that God exists, then they start going into which God is God and all this and move on from there. A lot of times we say, you, people will tell you, you can't prove that God exists. What they mean is you can't bring God physically into a room and say that, he's exist, that he exists. Well, the Bible says that. No man can see God and live, not in the flesh. God is the spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We can't do that. But it doesn't mean that God has enough evidence of his existence. And there is evidence, a lot of it. And most of us don't know it because in today's society, we don't, we, we dwell on what we can see 
and and what we can touch and taste and what they call um, what's the word that you uh get me what the word is but uh things that you can physically find and we use those things and say we believe in these things because we can see them touch them taste and taste them and use all our senses for all these different things they think faith can't be rational but faith can be rational uh, here's another here's another definition i found this in i was just on the internet i said i'm gonna look and see what punch it in what is faith on the internet and see what comes up and uh there's a thing called wikiversity and I never knew that. I didn't know they had this thing. But it says, here's the way they define it. Faith is the belief in the truth of something that does not require any evidence and may not be provable <coughs> by any empirical. That's the word I was looking for. Empirical or rational means. Empirical means that you can physically see it or have some physical evidence to prove it, prove it exists. He says, reason is the faculty of the, they say reason is the faculty of the mind through which we can logically come to rational conclusion. Faith and reason are both sources of authority upon which beliefs can rest. And you get tagged at and you say, hmm, this, but they're saying you can rest on that. Even the, you can rest on reason, physical things that you see and all that, and you can rest on your own, not necessarily just your own your thinking, but you also can rest, they're saying you can rest on your faith. Well, you just told me that it's based upon nothing, that my faith is, is not logical, not provable, there's no evidence for it, but you tell me I can rest on that? I can't rest on that. If I if I did not know God existed, and I, I just I had many doubts of whether God existed, I can't rest on that. I'm waking up. I'm going to say, I'm going to not say, is there a God? I don't know if there's a God. I think I, I think I asked God to come to my heart, but does he really exist? I don't, and we get tripped up. A lot of kids go off to college, and these new college professors talk them out of their belief in God. They drop all these evidence and stuff about evolution and this and that and in their head. and and Because right now the peer pressure is around not believing in God. And they push this stuff in their kids' head, and they come back doubting, do I really believe in God? I don't know. Jeremy told me that there's someone that he's been talking to that's doubting whether, uh, uh, said, I, I, when I look at evolution and I look at their evidence, I see it's, it's been valid and I, I'm having a problem reconciling that with the word of God. You'll find out if you study evolution, you find, there's plenty of books out there studying about evolution. You find out there's a lot, most of that stuff is built on nothing. It is a faith-based religion in and of itself. And it really, it has some evidence, but a lot of that evidence is, has been falsified for us to believe. And it's just pushed and pushed and pushed. And so when generations of people grow up in it, and, you know, my, I tell my kids, you guys woke up in this world. And I said, this wasn't like, I said, I'm a baby boomer. Uh, and you guys, in the, I think it was 63 or 64 was the last of the baby boomers. I was born in 1963. And the, I grew up in that, the baby boomer era is a transitional thing where people really had a lot of morals and believed in God and God said, not that they were saved or anything, but the world had those, they had standards and things like that. And we, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s when all the turmoil and different things coming in and Vietnam and the hippies and, and all this, you know, started coming to play and gradually we've moved away from God and we're way over here 
to the left, and we left God and left him behind. And I, I, I tell him, I said, I remember the television went off and they said, God bless you, and things like that. They played the, they had the American flag up there and they played the start, the, 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 the anthems and all that stuff. Now they don't, won't even do it in the Super at, at a football game or at a school game. Or they want to get rid of coaches that want to want to pray or talk about things uh, or talk about uh, history the way it really was. We moved into a different world, but our kids wake up in it and we, they think this is the way it's always been. I said, no, this is the way it's always been. I feel less free now than when I back in the 80s. I felt really felt free in the 80s compared to today's time. It's like we flipped when we're going down this slope and we don't reason, we really don't our reason out the window. Um, faith, uh, they believe that faith and reason are opposing systems of belief, not to be commingled. Faith cannot be rational nor rationalized, and the empirical evidence cannot be attached to it. If you have faith, there's no evidence you can ever attach to that. They'll let you have your faith. Because some people believe that's your comfort zone. You, you need to believe. I can understand you need to believe that God exists. You need to believe in a heaven, a life after death. When It really isn't there, but you just need to believe in it because it makes you feel comfortable. That's all right. You do that. Just don't push that on us. They'll let you have your faith just as long as you don't talk about it to other people. But they believe your faith is in nothing. When you die, it's not going to matter. You died, you're going to be dead. You're just going to be in the dirt. And once again, if I believe that, man, I'm miserable. Paul said if we, if we believe in that and it's not true, then we are above all men to be pitied. Yes, exactly. Verse 15. Now we're of all men to be pitied. Because we wasted our life. Yeah. What are we doing here? I mean, if all there is is you wake up. You no, know, you. How was it putting that one day? You're conceived in the womb. You're birthed. You're living as a baby. And then one day you realize your own existence. And you go through life in this circle of you, you wake up in the mornings. You walk, brush your teeth, eat breakfast, go out to work or play if you're a child. And... In the evening, come home from work, do some homework or do some more play or whatever you got to do. Watch TV and all this on Fridays and Saturdays, maybe get some some entertainment in your life. Go out and see some things. Then you go to sleep the night that night and wake up the next morning and do it over again. And that's all you're doing and saving money for your retirement. So when you get old, you have all this money that you can't really spend on anything except your health because your health is going bad. <laughs> They had this new movement called the FIRE movement. What, what young people are doing now is trying to earn their money and become millionaires at an early age right now. It means financial independence, retire early, FIRE. And they want to, and, and a lot of them are doing it. And I don't blame them. They said, because they realize that if I'm old, I, don't, I can't enjoy anything. So they're trying to become millionaires early in their 20s and 30s. And then they say, I at least, I, now I got an option. I can go do this and do that. I can work, not work. And if we do have children, we don't have a, a big financial burden on us. And we can enjoy this in our later, in, in our early stages before we get to our later stages. But if life is all just that cycle, you're growing up living, and then you die and you go to nothingness. That means death is nothingness. You didn't exist. 
You were conceived, went through the whole life cycle to return back to nothingness. You know, and if I believe that, then why should I care? I would be a dangerous person. Probably dead, actually. <laughs> Someone probably shot me or something. You know, the way I was growing up. But why would I care? That's, what, that's what's happening in our world of politics and everything today. They, they believe that you die and go to nothing. So they're living for the day. And they don't care if they lie to you and all that. They talk about ethics and they lie and cheat and steal and everyone else is doing it. Because we've taught this whole generation that there's nothing in the end. And so kids aren't stupid. They're locking in on that when teachers and things, some of these teachers teach them that stuff. And they're locking in on that. And they're going, why should I care? I mean, I, I don't have the ability LeBron James have, so I'm going to go steal. I'm going to sell dope. I don't care about that person. I'm going to get what's for me right now. And to be honest with you, if God doesn't exist, that's the way you should live. I'm joining the mafia. I'm doing something. At least I get to enjoy something. I may die early, but at least I got a chance to experience some of those things these other people have that with, with a lot of money for at least a short period of time. Look, yeah, it doesn't make sense. No, no, no. There is an eternal life. And there is a God that we will face. And don't let anyone talk you out of your faith. Don't let anyone make you believe that faith is in nothing. That there's no evidence. And that's the big thing I'm trying to... There is evidence for the Christian faith. There is empirical evidence for the, for the Christian faith. Like you were talking about with Romans versus James, faith itself is the evidence. Right. So it's not... But see, you experience that. They don't experience that. So how are you going to... You know, what's that song? Uh, if you knew what I know... I can't remember. There's I, I, my point is, is that I wouldn't even have that argument. Right. You know, it's, it's hard for me to explain to someone else my faith, what, right. what God has done in me. Someone I was trying to do this with, they told me that, no, what you have is you just had a, had a uh, eureka moment. Kind of like one of the come to Jesus moment, just, oh, because I was telling look, I was living in sin, I was stealing, I was doing all this, but when God saved me, something changed in me. All of a sudden, I didn't want to go stealing, I didn't want to do this, and and all the people I grew up, those, my brother and those, uh, the, uh, the other two brothers that we hung around and we used to go out still and all three of them were dead and in the grave. All, of, all three of them were in and out of jail. All of three of them graduated to other types of thievery and rape and murder and, and ended up in jail and ended up dead. But I went another way. And the only way I explain it is that day at the boys club, I'm sitting there minding my own business waiting for the Bible story lady to tell her story so I can get some candy at the end and Holy Spirit turned the lights on. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm dying. I'm going to die and go to hell. I realized how much I could feel the weight of that sin. I was, a, I was young. I was 11, 12 years old. I could just, what's going on here? Where do I go? And it was like I could see. I can't run. You know, you see the glory of God. And I can't go that way because it exposes my sin. And you turn around. I can't. You see hell. I don't want that either. I'm stuck. 
And now remember she was using the, the, the wordless book kind of thing where you use the hearts, the white heart, black heart, and red mm-hmm. heart. And she was showing your heart is your heart was white at one point. God when God made Adam when Adam he sinned, the heart became dark with sin and they put the black heart up. And she was talking about that. And she said, this is the condition we're in. And I got it. I said, oh, this is why the world is messed up. This is why people sin. This is why we lie, cheat, steal. This is why the world does all these things. This is where it's not because of things outward in the world. It's because of each one of us individually. It's because of me. And I saw that. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm lost. And she said, but. And she said, Jesus died for your sins. And, she, and he died on the cross and shed his blood. And she puts the red heart over the black heart. And then when she removes it, she does a little trick with it. She removes it, and the white heart is showing again. When you trust Christ, he, he brings you back into fellowship with God. I got it. I got it. And I, you know, I used to go around thinking, I made that decision. But now I look back on it as I've learned and stuff. When I really think about it, I said, what happened? It's not that I just made it. Something happened. The lights turned on. Who turned the light on? It was God, the Holy Spirit. You were brought from death to life. Right. He brings dead things and make them alive. We are dead in trespasses and sin. You understand that? You're dead, dead, dead. Dead men don't do anything. We like zombie movies and things like that, but we're not. Dead men don't do anything. You're like, you're dead in. Imagine the ocean is, a, is all the ocean is the sin. And I went and just tossed you in there without a life raft, without any floating device. And you, well, I don't care if you can swim or not. You stuck that way in the middle of the ocean. You're in trouble. And you're, you, you can't even do that. You're dead. You're just in it. God says, make them bones live. Make that dead man come alive. Bring that sinner alive. That's why it's all of grace. And see, we can't, we have a hard time explaining that to someone else. We experience that. Our faith is evidence. But for the world, they need evidence, a lot of time, empirical evidence. And we have that, but they're trying to talk the world, talk us out of saying that we have evidence for it, and a lot of times we run. Sproul, R.C. Sproul said that in the days of the Reformation and all that, those, those, those guys actually believed that you could prove God's existence. And I believe that too. Because God tells you that in Romans 1, God says he's given us the evidence of his existence, of his power, of his Godhead. The heavens declare the glory of God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God or no God for me. We are fools to turn away and say there's no God. It's not that we just intellectually, oh, I don't believe in it. No, he's saying the evidence is there. We've turned away from that, that evidence. It's not that there is isn't evidence. There is evidence. We just reject that evidence. And now we say, if you have faith, it's not based on any evidence. That's not true. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And that's what they're teaching today. And when they say you have faith, that's the, what they're talking about. Your faith is empty. Your faith is empty. There's nothing to it. Um, thinking that, now let's open the class up a little bit here. What are some of the ways this type of defining faith comes across in the world today's world? You know, I'm, I mentioned one of those where they say, they'll just tell you, you have faith. And they mean that you have empty faith. You're, you know, you're talking to someone. Um, can anyone think of ways you've heard it? And it comes across in different forms. You know, oh, the big one, faith is a giant leap in the dark. 
That's another way that you hear it. Faith is a giant leap in the dark, in the nothingness. That's not, you know, that's one, a way the world says it. Anyone has any other kind of ways they've heard it or can imagine uh, that, it, that it would come across? I've had somebody say to me, I wish I could believe mm. what you do. And it's just, it sounds condescending like they're saying, well, I wish that I could just believe them. Mm -hmm. Right. Go, I have that down here together. Right. And that's what they're saying. You, you but, but I, I put it like that, but you have faith. I've heard people tell, you know, that's all right, but you have faith. <laughs> and they're saying, you just have faith in nothing, and you you just trust that. I just can't walk there. I can't go there. You know? and, and, and it is. It's a bit condescending. You are, you just put your faith in nothing, but you have it. I wish I had it, but you have it. I just can't put my faith in nothing without any evidence. That's what they're really saying. And they may not realize they're saying it, but that's what they're really saying. I've heard people say, um, I... I hope I'm wrong, but I just don't believe that. Right. <laughs> so they're like, I, I get that it would be better if you were right, but I just can't go there. So I kind of hope that you're right, but I don't mm -hmm. believe that you're right. They don't actually right. hope you're right because then they know they're going to mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think, again, it's a condescending sort yeah. of like. Right, because they really don't believe you're right. Yeah, no. I have you know, people say they don't use the word of faith. They say, oh, you're just so spiritual. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got now, yes. You have religion. <laughs> so spiritual. Hey, did you hear about Victor? We, we used to go out stealing. He's got religion now, so he doesn't want to go out with us. <laughs> you know, he's so spiritual. You know, that kind of thing, yeah. You know, and, and they don't mind pushing spirituality. That's what, you know what? Religion without Christ, without... You know, whether it's in a, quote, Christian church or any of that stuff, when you're religious, that's how you are. You're trying to be spiritual. They're spiritualists, really. Mormonism and all these things. If you believe in anything but faith, being saved by the grace of God through faith alone, you're just practicing spirituality. Buddhism, Confucianism, and all those other isms that are out there. That's all you're doing. You're putting your... You're, you really are putting your faith, you're putting your faith in something that that can't save. Because their faith is in something. It is directed towards something. Like I said, faith must have an object. You realize every day you wake <clears> up <throat> in the morning, as you're going through the day, right now, you guys are exercising faith. We do it all the time. You sat in the chair, didn't even think about it. Why? Because your experience has told you that I, when I sit in chairs with four legs, that's going to hold me up. And we're always surprised if the, if the chair breaks. We get in cars down the highway. Now we watch these guys all the time zoom, 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 doing all this stuff through the highway. You know, and, and if they mess up, there's a big car wreck. We jump in the car and expect that car called A to B, A to Z. Victor, I've had far too many experiences with chairs to actually try. We were having a fellowship over our house. We had these brick of chairs out there, and he said, and all of a sudden, we're boof. Yeah, far too many experiences. I don't have faith in chairs. Right. Now you know, Leslie, yeah, you know, I have a little bit in it, but I know that it may not hold me up. You know, you can buy, you know, there's been people bought brand new cars, drove them off the lot, got down the street, and the car broke down. There's no guarantees with those things. There's guarantee with God. Amen. When, you, when you get saved, God says he will keep you until, the, till that, until that day. You're in his hands, and he will never let you go. 
Your faith is assurance. You're assured of a place before God in heaven. And that's what religion don't give you that. If you if you're a Mormon or you are a Jehovah's Witness or you are a uh, uh, even Jehovah's Witness say that some people the only 144,000 going to get in. I'm like, wait a minute, there's seven billion, close to eight billion people on the planet right now. I'm not counting all the ones that have died in the past, and only 144,000 going to get in. That's a limit. <laughs> That's a limited amount. You know, they got more than 144,000 in, in the Mormon church as it is. So some of them not making it. <laughs> and so they're trying to reach to some plateau. You know, so you, you watch these people around Easter flogging themselves and go, they go to Israel and go take the walk down to Via Della Rosa and flog themselves and crucify themselves. And, and especially in the Philippines, they do it a lot in the Philippines. They put themselves on crosses. And cut themselves, do all this stuff. Martin Luther, before he was saved, he used to flog himself, walk up these steps on his knees, concrete steps on his knees, doing penance. Just me talking, it's tiring. It wears you out. That's what the Old Testament's for. That's what the 630, it's not 10 commandments. Those, when you read, get the, past the 10 commandments, he starts fleshing out the 10 and say, this is what these things mean. In the, in, there's over 613 or 14 commandments. And the Bible says the law was given so it becomes our taskmaster. We're the slave and it's whipping us and beating us and we have no peace, no rest. And we're trying to do the right thing and it's beating us more and more and more. Until we say, I can't do anything. God said, that's where I wanted you. This is to bring you to your knees. You can't do it. You need grace. You need grace. You can't do it. No man can get, be saved by keep trying to keep law, any law, man's law, religious law, God's law, except one. And that was Christ. In him, there was no sin. None. He kept the law. He pleased God. Yet he suffered on that cross. Bled, died with the hell. Rose again the third day. Did it for you. He shed his blood for our salvation. He was the appeasement. Had a neighbor when I lived in Georgia told me, he says, I can't, he said, I, 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 I can't find satisfaction. I need, I, need, I need someone to appease me or something like that, he said. And I'm sitting thinking, that's what the word propitiation means. God is, he's become the propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction. Satisfied. God said, satisfied. He took our sins on him. They tell you, you're a Bible thumper. You can't prove that God exists. There is no evidence for the Christian's faith, which is, like, as we've been going over, I think that's the greatest lie of them all. There's no evidence for the Christian's faith there is. Oh, someone said, you have your belief, I have mine. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you have faith. But even Christians get caught up in this. And I hadn't thought about that until I was studying this. I, you know, I got to that point and something hit my mind and I started writing things down. We are Christians say it sometimes like this. Uh, I like this one though. <laughs> I've heard this before. And uh, the old preacher, different preachers say it different ways and tell the story that some Christian or some preacher says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And then another preacher comes and retorts and says, God said it, whether you believe it or not, and that settles it. 
And there's truth in that. But when you tell that to a lost person, God believe, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You're saying, I don't need any other evidence. Whether there's empirical evidence out there or not, I just believe. That's what, that's what they're hearing when you say that. You gotta be careful when we say that. We're, we're telling them that we actually believe in nothing without evidence. When we say things like that, it doesn't settle it. Because they may need they they may need some empirical evidence to help them along to where you are. Uh, the Bible is my document statement. Got this one in Bible college. We were um, they oh my we were in church law and polity and they were telling me about uh, I think it was Dr. Lester Roloff. He was got taken to court about something and they asked him about they wanted to know what his doctrinal statement was, what the church believed and all that. And he just took the word of God and went up there and went, boom, this is what this is my this is my doctrinal statement. And I, 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 I church, uh, the professor said, you can't do that. <laughs> Not in the court of law. You got to have it put, spelled out for them. You need to have your doctrinal statement. That's why we do all this stuff. So when we give the lost people or other people, they can kind of prove and get an idea of what we believe in. They're not going to take the time to read through the whole word of God because different people will interpret it different ways to their own bad ways, right ways, and, and all that. Um, what's another one? Um, we, are, we, are we are fearful and not prepared to give a logical reason for our beliefs. This is the one that gets us most today. It's, some guy comes along, man or woman with all these degrees and all this, or they seem highly intellectual, and they got their ducks lined up, and they come and challenge your Christian faith, and you can't give them an answer. And when you can't give them an answer, they're like, gotcha. See, you really don't have any evidence, because you can't, you can't give anything back to me. Um, what is it in Peter, where it tells us to be able to... Uh, be prepared to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is in us. When you study Christian apologetics, that's, that's the thing that I love it. I love Christian apologetics. It will, it is not for lost people. Now, lost, God may use it to bring a lost person to Christ, but you can teach that to them and through their reason, they may believe it without accepting Christ. It is not, Christian apologetics is not going to say, it's God that saves. When you preach or teach, the preacher doesn't save you. God uses his word. It's God's spirit works through the word of God to save. And, and so um, we need to be prepared to tell, let people know what we believe. It's for Christians to, you, different people get saved at different levels of faith. Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can move mountains. Uh, we had a, uh, a preacher come through when I was in the military. He had come from Israel. He went to visit, come back, and he came back with a mustard seed. It was this really little, it was smaller, a little smaller than a pea, a little small thing. He said, this isn't the mustard seed. And he crushed it open, and now this little fine grain, I mean, smaller than sand came out of it. He said, each individual one of these, that's the mustard seed that's inside the shell. And that was like an eye opener. Some people you can go to and tell them about Christ. When I got saved, the lady was, she didn't give me a lot of evidence, 
She gave me evidence from the word of God and God saved me. Some people need more evidence and God brings them to Christ. We get saved at different levels. Uh, what was that? Oh, was it Nathaniel? In, in John, when he goes out and, and he says, here comes a man that uh, with no guile or something like that. He said, how do you know me? And he right. just... Saw you under the tree. Right. And he believes. And just like that, he said, because I said unto you that, you know... You're under the fig tree. Yeah, you're under the fig tree. You believe? We have different levels. Your children. Little children will believe a lot of things very easily, even if you tell them. Now... As they grow up, or even as you grow up, you may hold some beliefs as you go along, but as new evidence comes in, it's either going to solidify those beliefs that you believe in, or <coughs> it's going to make you change your opinion about those beliefs. In Christianity, we we uh, done a lot of damage to ourselves sometimes, especially when we got into the scientific era with Galileo getting uh, martyred and all that stuff because they were giving scientific evidence. There was... Uh, when I was in college, there was a our, our speech teacher was telling us about a black preacher during slave days. Uh, he would go out, and I can't remember what his name is, but he had a famous sermon called The Sun Do Move. And he believed the sun moved around the earth. And a lot of people used to believe that. He had read, he took a script, some scripture where it seemed like that. I think it's where when God told the sun to stay up or something like that. He took one of those, and he, he believed that based upon his understanding of the word of God. And he believed he would preach that, stayed on it. But scientifically, that's not true. <laughs> and so the earth moves around the sun. The sun doesn't move around the earth. And sometimes we got to adjust. You know, it's not that the word of God was wrong scientifically. We may have read it wrong scientifically. Or the, the, the famous one that black people have a mark of Cain on them. That's the mark of Cain. And now we have more understanding. When, oh, that's not what that means. That women got to dress a certain way to be females. Now we get more understanding. Say, no, that's not what he's talking about. So some of it is, there are people that believe it's in, in the days of slavery. They actually believe that certain people could be enslaved like chattel slavery. I mean, slavery was everywhere anyway. And they sincerely believed that, and they thought the word of God taught that. Some of them twisted the word of God for their own advantage to do that. Mm -hmm. But there's some that, that literally, honestly believe that. But we know that's not true. And so we got to, as you grow in your faith, sometimes you will drop things off. Because I thought it was me that made my, put my faith in Christ and then he saved me. And as I grew and grew and went my way to my mother-in-law's house, boom, Something flipped, and I realized it was God that saved me. I didn't do it. He did it. I didn't approach him first. He saved me. I was minding my own business. He saved me. He woke me up. So, Victor, is faith diametrically opposed to reason? No. It's in not. Sense. In what sense is this? Because, let's see. I'm just done. Oh, oh, we actually best time. I was going to write this thing up. You imagine faith, the world thinks we have faith in um, feelings over facts. Our faith is in feelings over facts. When in reality is our faith are in facts over feelings. So they work hand in glove. 
Come down, let us reason together. Mm-hmm. It, or when he when the word of God says it is, uh, the fool is said in his heart there is no God it, that's a he's saying reasonably you're a fool if you believe that God doesn't exist if you just exercise your reason you're a fool and or in Romans chapter one when it says that it goes through that whole thing it says God has revealed his his Godhead in, in through through the through, uh, through nature God has put it on our conscience and then it goes on to say that man left God. They push God away. Suppress the truth and right. unrighteousness. Yeah, they suppressed it. You can't suppress something if you don't have that knowledge. So God has given us the reasons God does exist. I always tell you do believe in God. You just don't want to, you, you're just suppressing that. You're pushing it away. Because you really, and the reason why atheists don't come to God is not because of the lack of evidence. There's a preponderance of evidence. It don't come because of sin. They love darkness rather than light. What the word of God said. They will not come to me because they love their darkness rather than light. And they don't want that exposed. You know, my favorite, one of my favorite scriptures is, I know whom I have believed it, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And I am so thankful that our salvation is a person. Mm-hmm. He is the object of our faith. And he is um, who he says he is. Right. And just because you don't know him doesn't mean I don't know him. No. And it's kind of like with electricity. I can say all day, I, be- I don't believe in electricity. And I walk in and I flip that switch. Well, <laughs> it's still working. Right. It's still an evidential fact. Right. So it helps me when someone does kind of question my faith because I know whom I have believed it and I know it. they must not know him yet or ever but my being able to say I know whom I have believed it. Right. When the yes. word of God teaches us to grow in the Christian faith it's telling what it means is that we continue to study to show yourself approved and all that and not only study the word of God but study external there's external evidence for the, they used to believe that Christ didn't even exist until they started finding unearthing books and, and writings and stuff that spoke of him. Now most people, even atheists aren't going to say that Christ didn't exist. They try to deny they did miracles. But there's evidence for that. There's even many John, books out yeah. there. Even John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You think he's dismissing reason there? No. He's saying, look at all the miracles that he did. Even uh, even though I only broke down the tip of the spear, you believe it. You see these, and it is reasonable that he is God. And I put, I, we didn't get there, but throughout the scripture, it constantly refers to external things. It, for instance, in, in the book of John, they were fighting agnostics, the Gnostics, and they didn't believe that God would ever come down and, and spiritually dwell with human beings were too filthy and all that. But they opened it up with that which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have touched of the word of God. They're giving it, that's empirical evidence. When Thomas would get on him about doubting, but he, he was right. He said, I won't believe until I see. And when he see, he said, look, come, put your hands, come, touch. When Jesus did his miracles, you know, you got these faith healers and everything, and they go and find out these people, they supposedly got 
healed and everything. They do follow up. Sometimes these people still in, still injured and whatever. Sometimes it's just a emotional spike or something. Jesus did all his miracles in the open. Let Lazarus stay there. He's dead. Let him stay there for three days. I'm really letting them know they, what I can do. He goes down there and brings them out in the grave clothes, the spices and all that. He should have. Why? He wanted people to know that this was a miracle. They didn't doubt these things were miracles. They had no doubt. That's why they couldn't lay any charge against him. Jesus was presenting empirical evidence that I am the son of God. So we do both. We use the word of God. God works through that, but we can also learn about in, in the world. When science first started, it was a lot of Christians came used to study science. We've kind of gotten away from it. Because when evolution came on, we just got pushed to a corner and we didn't have any answers for it. We got many of answers, plenty of answers for it now. But we gotta go. Let's let's pray and uh, look these books up, look these things up, and and uh, I'm I'm gonna try to print out some of the books and things I've looked at and give to you on one of these Sundays so that you know that there's a lot of stuff out there listed and it will, it, it, boy, it'll make you feel strong and settled in your faith. And we need to be that way. God, thank you for what you've given us. Thank you for the evidence of, the, of your existence. When you open up the book of Genesis, you says in the beginning, God. You don't try to explain yourself, why? Because it is reasonable to believe that you exist. You don't have to explain yourself. You're sovereign. You reach to reach out to us. We don't reach out to you. And you've given us our conscience. You've given us the word of God. And most of all, you've given us the son of God. He is the fleshly embodiment of God in the flesh that walked on this earth. And to this day, there's no reasonable evidence that he did not rise again from the grave. No reasonable evidence that he did not perform the miracles. People come up with things, but when you examine them, you find that they don't, they don't have legs. So thank you for all that you've given us, waking us to what we really know and what we really believe. Let your church start giving, preparing themselves to give answers to the lost people when they come to ask them about their faith so that we won't be shaken and stirred and tossed about whatever you win the doctrine that comes our way. Bless our services today and uh, the, uh, our pastors and, uh, and, and the speakers today. Use them to reach, reach souls for your gospel, with your gospel and increase the faith of us as Christians in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.